Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today, we are talking to Chris Slow, the CTO at Reddit, and we discuss ways to ensure you always hire the right person, empowering your brightest minds to make decisions, and important tips for getting the most out of your one-on-ones. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. All right. You feeling good today? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no complaints. Uh, I just came from uh, this morning was my uh, my youngest uh, my youngest preschool graduation, which was a delightful experience. He was wearing a tiny little bow tie. It was very cute. Oh, uh, like a little uh, gentleman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, every, a gentleman, in at least in appearance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How old? Uh, he's five, and he has an older sister who's eight. Okay. I got one that's two and three, and then one that's three months. Okay. You're yep. just at the start of things. So um, good luck. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there, is a, there is a time after diapers, I promise. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. We'll cheers to that. <laughs> so the oldest is a girl and then a boy? Yeah. That's the same. That's what we got. Does, uh, does your oldest um, uh, obsessive? Is she in the obsessively mothering phase, or what's the which 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 way did she go? She's dancing. She's she dancing. doesn't even care. She doesn't even care. She's like my wife texts me videos like every day because all she does is run around the house and like here's today, right? Check this out. So <laughs> come on. She like, grabs her foot and like. <laughs> Yep. Oh man. See, that's the difference. Well, mine are three years apart. And so I think that, I think that, 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 that extra year, you know, she was actually like aware that she had a brother. And so it's been like this, it's been a thing ever since then. That's oh. adorable. Yeah. Well then you can have one hold the bottle for the other. Right. Uh, that's, that's the dream. It never worked out, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So are you out in San Francisco? Yep. Guilty nice. Story. Nice. Where, where, like on what streets? Um, we are in the Tenderloin, so we're okay. uh, we're on uh, Taylor and O'Farrell. Okay, cool. Yeah, for some reason, being in technology, I just happen to be in San Francisco a lot. Where are yeah. you located normally, or where are you now? Florida. Florida. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but so many things happen out there, and so I like I like it. The other the last time I was out there, I um, I ran from like. Uh, I can't remember the exact area, but I ran the bridge, like all the way down and then to the bridge. I kept getting closer and closer and closer to the bridge. And my, my 30 minute run turned into like a three hour thing. It's deceptively, it's deceptively far away. Like it's actually like, especially if you're, if you start off in the Marina and you're running along the coast, you're like, Oh, I can totally run to the bridge. And it's like about a three mile (laughs) stretch just to get there. Yep. I was in a hotel and then I was like, I think if I go down that street, you could actually see the water. And then I get to this observation area. I'm like, oh, that looks like a 30 minute run over there. And it was like an hour later. And then I'm like, all right, now I'm at the bridge. I got to go over it. <laughs> I get all the way over it. Right. Yeah. And, and then there's this other area, like vending area, sightseeing area. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, my meeting, I, I was speaking at William Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which is down there. And so I was like, yeah. all right, I gotta, I gotta give a talk in two hours. I gotta be back. I need to Uber back. So I flip open Uber, but where I am and the way the roads are, nobody like Uber forces them to like loop around the bridge and pay a toll to come get me. So every ride just kept canceling on me. Ah, oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know. So then I'm like, all right, well, there's really no other place to go because most people have cars that get here. And so I was like, all right, maybe if I just run another mile that way down the road, <laughs> it'll allow me to get an Uber. And it did. And it, it was, uh, I made it to the talk on time, but it was very scary. And my feet hurt a lot after that day. <laughs> yeah. If you go down that, I think the, I know which path you went down and there's actually a, a children's museum down there going back to kids. Oh yeah. Uh, so I actually, I actually live, I live in Marin, uh, on the North side. Uh, and so, um, we, that area spent a lot of time and especially with two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't be like in the city city, right? With yep. the kids. You don't want to be in the city city with kids. We lasted until we had the two kids in a two bedroom apartment uh, situation, at which point, yeah. uh, things just, things just fell apart rapidly. Yeah. That's, oh, you gotta let them run outside too. Right. And you can't do that when there's like people on the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> So, so CTR Reddit, very cool, right? But you didn't start there. Like you didn't just wake up one day and you're CTR Reddit. Like where did you start? Where, where did you, speaking of kids, right? When did you first fall in love with technology? Was it video games, computers? Oh boy. Um, so I can, if, I, if you want to go way back. Um, yeah. So I think, um, so I am, I am of a slightly older vintage. I'm 40, um, which means, uh, I actually, that makes me late Gen X, uh, I think. Uh, technically speaking, I had my first uh, video game system was an Atari 5200, um, which I got when I was about maybe six or seven, which was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and my first exposure to a computer wasn't until I was in high school. So we had a, um, we got a 486 when I was 14 uh, that I really just kind of fell in love with and started immediately trying to figure out like how to program against it. Like I think at the time it was, I was writing in QBasic and trying to write very simple video games. Um, the whole time, though, like I was actually much more of a science nerd than a tech nerd. I mean, this is like the you know early '90s, uh, and so I originally went to I went to school actually not for computer science but for physics. Um, did physics and math for a while, and actually got involved in the tech scene when I was in my fourth year in grad school, uh, and went through a um, a pretty standard experimental degree burnout uh, that happens right around that time. Um, grad school in experimental science is this discovery that. Uh, you spend maybe, if you're lucky, three to four percent of your time doing actual science, and then the rest of your time doing everything else. So I spent like a third of my time uh, in a machine shop building stuff. Um, I spent a third of my time um, on a computer analyzing some results that I had or building models, and I spent a third of my time um, doing all the other miscellaneous stuff involved in setting up an experiment. Um, the nice thing is, it was actually like nerd finishing school, so I can. <laughs> I can weld. Uh, I know how to. Pl I know how to do, like do plumbing. <laughs> like, I used what? To, I used to legitimately walk around, um, non-ironically, with a Leatherman on my belt uh, for most of my time in grad school for the full seven years. Because at any given time, there was a potential of me having to like hold something together live while it was falling apart, and having a having a pair of pliers available at all times really helpful. So um, to make a long story shorter, what, what ended up happening was around that time, it's so like two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I had a friend of mine um, who who's also a, a scientist, um, pitched me on this idea. Well, I, I will use modern words. He pitched me on what turned out to be a startup, but at the time it just seemed like, a, hey, you know what's really annoying? It's really hard to find stuff on my hard drive. Um, and this is like, you know, this is at a time when um, the state-of-the-art 
uh, desktop search was like this that that dog that would uh, come up on Windows XP and ask you what you were looking for. Not the paperclip, dude. You yeah. you switched from Clippy to the dog. <laughs> well, I just remember that being one of the stock ones that came up. So originally, those were originally I think Microsoft Bob was the origin of it that they kind of ported into being the help system. And uh, I just remember thinking like, yeah, this, this is gonna be a simple solution for this. And like most like most things, the first mistake is always that initial ignorance of not knowing how hard the problem really is. It's like, oh, this is like. I'm just going to write a thing that solves the, the, the searches for files on my computer. Um, that turned into a startup, and then actually turned out into me getting into um, the first Y Combinator batch in summer of 05. So we we ended up pitching this. Um, me and my co-founder pitched this idea of solving desktop search. Um, and this is pre-Spotlight. This is pre-Google Desktop. Um, and pre-everything being on the cloud on, on the web anyway. Uh, and so um, that was kind of my, my origin story on getting into tech. It was, it was totally circuitous, though. I mean, I, I ended up actually finishing my degree and like continuing down some of the science path. But I think part of the discovery of doing a startup at that point was um, that I was able to find that the outlet that I liked in academia was this kind of, there's a problem that's hard. And if I break it down into pieces, I can solve it and then have something to show at the end and like achieve something and like further humanity, right? And I think that tech... The roots of tech are very much in the same thing, which is that there's a set of fundamental problems. There are things that we're good at and there are things that computers are good at. And if we can make the computers do our work for us, our lives can get better. Um, and um, that that was really, I think, the root of the, of the journey. Now, I'm one of those people that whenever I hear something I don't understand, I have to ask about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, tell me about the, that word you use, circuitous? Oh, sir, uh, circuitous. Um, just like uh, the, the circuitous is like, um, not taking the direct path, but taking the long meandering path and ending up in the same place. Like, you oh, know, man. yeah, that sounds like, like a lot of decisions in my life. <laughs> I, you know, I, the nice thing about getting older is you get a chance to have some hindsight and discover like how many things in your life are just the side effect of some random event that happens. Right. It's like the, um, uh, John Lennon quote, I think, um, the, the, the beetle, not the, not the, not the communist, uh, who I think he said that what life is, life is what happens when you're making plans. Um, and yeah. I think that's sort of true here. It's like, you know, I, I ended up getting involved in the root, the root of me getting involved in, um, in startups was, uh, legitimately, you know, the, the way that the way my original startup got kicked off was I happened to randomly go to a talk, um, while at, at um, uh, at, at, at university or in grad school. And I happened to run into this person, Zach, uh, Zach Stone, who ended up being my co-founder who we were, we knew each other. But we weren't friends at that point. And we ended up just like striking up a conversation. Uh, and it was one of those, like that random conversation turned into effectively the catalyst for my entire career. Um, um, because otherwise I was, I was kind of like not necessarily dead set on being an academic for my whole life, but at least was like on that, on that trajectory. And, and so like today Reddit is essentially a household name, right? Yep. But like, it's not just a clear, perfect, beautiful path from let's let's co-found Reddit to it being the behemoth it is today. Like, tell me a little bit about how your role evolved, like what you learned, you were, I guess, were you ever a, a team lead or anything like that prior to being the CTO of Reddit? Like, tell me about that. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's been a long, it's been a long journey. So um, the, the other, the rest of the story is um, my start at Reddit was I was Reddit's first employee. Um, and so I got involved with, um, so, you know, Reddit was founded by Steve Huffman and Alexis Ohanian in summer of 05. And um, they, um, you know, they were also in the first Y Combinator batch, which is how I met them in the first place. And so another one of those kind of totally random events that changed my life was 
yeah, at the end of the summer, my startup failed and I had an apartment with two free bedrooms and I was friends with Steve and Alexis. And so they moved in. And then two months later, I was working on Reddit. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point, that was very much the like, I mean, it was the in a in a crappy Somerville apartment version of the bunch of nerds in a, in a, in a garage or in a basement just kind of working on something like we had a we had this office that where the uh, our office, our office was our living room. And we were in this like third story walk up in Somerville, Mass. And the floor in the office was nothing even close to level. Like if anything, it was actually kind of V-shaped. So if you let go, if you were sitting in a chair with wheels and you let go of one of the desks, you would just fall towards the middle of the room. <laughs> like it, was really, it was really, really janky. And so it was really, I mean, the, the startup was very scrappy. The whole, the whole experience was, um, you know, learning how to develop a, a, a functioning web app live while you're doing it. Uh, and so that was much of the experience for the first like, you know, five years it was very, very small team. We got acquired originally by Connie Nast in 06 uh, and kind of got pulled in um, to, to, the, to, to, to that company uh, and just kind of were mostly left to our own devices to kind of like, you know, um, continue to iterate the product. And it was really just like, we were doing what we thought was best, not really knowing what was right or what was wrong or how to actually do it. So um, for me, the, the path to CTO was actually much later. So, um, you know, after after four years working at Reddit uh, post-acquired, um, so Stephen Alexis left in 09 um, to go do other things. I left in 10 uh, and ended up joining back up with Steve to work on another startup. And that was where we we, we did a startup called um, called Hipmunk, which is a travel startup. Um, what? The hip yeah, chipmunk? Yeah. 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 I know the hipmunk. Okay, well, that was that was um, that was Steve's, Steve was CTO at that company, and um, uh, and so I, I kind of got I, I kind of jumped back over to work with him, and um, that was where we actually got a chance to do all the other things that a company needs to do to become a successful company. Like so, Reddit was always kind of Reddit was always kind of in a in a state where it was very small staff. We never really had to do things like grow it. Um, the traffic was totally organic, and it always grew. And in fact, one of those pitfalls we had with starting Hitmonk was we just had this like pre this, this like preconceived notion that you know the way that you launch a product is you just kind of put it on the web and just people just come because like that's yeah. tough. like I don't know what you're talking about there's a lot marketing and launching like what just you just put it up um, and then we discovered like really quickly that oh no that's not a normal behavior and so then you kind of learn really quickly how magical Reddit Reddit is as an experience but what Reddit was lacking was like we never built the actual like company around reddit we we got acquired as a very early startup and we were always small and so um hitmonk was great because it gave us an opportunity to kind of learn all the rest of it right like how to grow and scale a team how to actually like hire good managers how to be a good manager um you know the importance of getting good talent um when is it important to have an hr person um you know why what exactly what are these what do these pms actually do why do i care oh and oh designers you mean somebody makes things look good for you without you having to figure it out yourself that's just wonderful <laughs> i know uh and so it was it was really uh it was really enjoyable and enlightening and you know we grew that company up to about 100 employees um and um and then um so at that point i was doing you know engineering management and had gotten you know i was running a back end i was basically running the back end team there um, and then switched over to, um, uh, decided that, uh, you know, Reddit was going through some tough times in middle 15, uh, and kind of came back in early 16 to, to kind of, you know, I, I, I'll say, I thought I had, uh, mentally divorced myself from the company in a lot of ways in the products, but then I discovered that actually, no, I felt like a parent still, I'm like, I want to make sure things were, things were kind of okay. 
Um, so came back originally was doing IC work and then just, just started, um, building teams was the, was what 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 ended up happening at that point. I'm I'm curious about the building teams part, right? Yeah. So one of, one of the things that I've I've found to be true is that um, your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Like the people who you are, like you'll attract as you get this mass, you'll start attracting other people that are similar to that. Was that true for you as you started growing your teams? Um, a little bit. So I think what happened initially was, um, so re- the state of Reddit in 2015, 2016 was still very small given its reach, right? So, you know, a company at that point had 250 million monthly active users and the total size was around, I want to say 60 or 70 employees, which means engineering was only about 30, right? So very, very small team. Um, and that was basically split down the middle of kind of like half back end, half front end, a little bit of multiple in there mixed in. So just just enough of a team to kind of be able to um, keep the ship running, but not really to evolve the product. And so, you know, the the the, the original mission and the, part of the, the the job up front was actually kind of turn the company into a functioning business and like turn it into an actual working company. Um, and the first thing to do there is hiring, like actually getting getting people in, um, working through the fact that you know there was a lot of stagnation in the meantime. There's a lot of things that hadn't really been developed. Uh, it was actually kind of, it was a little funny coming back for me, especially because and I think for Steve as well, because, um, you know, we had spent five years like building another company and learning a bunch of things. And then coming back to Reddit was a little bit like coming back to like this parallel universe where they had cho- chosen a different path. Like we're like, Oh, oh my goodness. They never invented that here. <laughs> they have to, you know, <laughs> figure out how to, how to apply these things we've learned. Um, I, I come bring me fire. Um, and so, um, the, the initial version of that was starting to structure into engineering teams as opposed to it being kind of ad hoc groups. Um, we had a lot of tech leads and not a lot of like actual managers. Um, and, um, we, we had a whole bunch of very clearly identifiable gaps. And so my original role was like, like I said, I was doing IC work and then I started to basically like quickly, um, I was talking to our, our CTO at the time, uh, Marty Wiener, uh, had, um, had you know, I, I kind of gave him my list of things we need to get built, and he's like, "Great, why don't you go start one of those teams?" And so I started. The first team I started um, went back was this team that does all of our kind of site integrity work. Um, called uh, has a has a great name, Anti Evil. Uh, it is okay. their their job is to build tools to make sure that um, the users remain safe and that the site is has a certain amount of integrity to it. Um, very very important job on a on a social platform like Reddit. And so really just kind of like carved out a couple engineers and started building that uh, that team. And then it quickly turned into um, uh, just, I started uh, with, through no fault of my own, uh, accumulating teams. So I think my, uh, you know, whatever the opposite of a land grab is, it was just like that. It was like, okay, it's going right over there. So here, Chris, have another team. Um, so I think I kind of quickly assumed the role of director of most of our backend teams um, platform. Um, in the meantime, we'd also hired a VPE. Um, uh, it's great, uh, great guy by the name of Nick Caldwell, um, uh, former Microsoft, uh, and, uh, he, he came in and also helped us level up in terms of like figuring out what engineering org structure should look like when you have like, you know, eventually a hundred plus engineers just starting to get some, some structure in place. And, um, and so it, it took about, I, I, I think I started as CTO two years ago now. So it's, it was a kind of a, a very rapid ramp up over the course of a year. Um, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden discovering that I'm, I'm now in charge of the ship, which is, you know, uh, existentially terrifying, but, uh, <laughs> also very, also very gratifying. Um, you know, 
on that climb, what are some of the, like the biggest takeaways, the biggest, or just, you could just pick one. Like what's one, what's one huge lesson that you've learned like over and over again? Oh, I mean, I think that, um, the real importance of hiring and like finding the right people, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a couple, a couple of big lessons there. Um, you know, one is like, we've, we've always, we've always driven to make sure that we hire people who are passionate and who also have a certain amount of humility with the work. And I find that just from, just from like personal experience that, um, you know, there's, the, there's this thing called the, um, actually there's, there's a, a well-known effect called the Dunning-Kruger effect that I kind of didn't mention before, but I will bring up now. Um, the Dunning-Kruger effect is that when you're confronted with a new problem, your first response is usually to say, oh, this is totally easy. I know exactly how to solve this, right? And you are invariably 100% wrong. Like you invariably, so if you, look at, if you look at your level of confidence as a function of time, you're immediately very confident. And then you discover how quickly that you're incorrect and you end up plummeting into this, this chasm of despair is usually is, is what's called in the graph. So there's like, the peak is called Mount Stupid. And then after <laughs> chasm of despair, and then you spend the rest of your career climbing back up and you never achieved the level of confidence you had in that first like few minutes of like, oh, this is totally easy. Because you kind of, the more you know, the more you know, and the more you know your own gaps. And so I find that that kind of one way to short circuit that is if you kind of, if you've been through that experience enough, you realize that most things are not actually easy. And that incurs a certain amount of like global humility in your approach of like, this will be hard, but I will deal with it, you know, as, as, as the upfront thing. Um, and so I find that that, that is definitely an important characteristic to be able to kind of suss out for early on. Um, I also think it's a function a little bit of stage of the company is important, right? Like having a bunch of um, very determined hotshot people is extremely valuable at the startup stage of the company. And it can be very, very difficult at a larger stage company where everyone has much more specific roles, right? You know, if I've got, if I've got a 10 person engineering team, everyone has to know what they're doing and has to be self-driven. And there's no way possible for me to like, you know, to, to, they will work it, work it out. When you get up to hundred people, you have to have a lot more structure in place just because you don't want people stepping on each other's toes and you need to make sure that there is clear coordination and clear communication as opposed to, Oh, I don't have to worry about it. Cause I know, you know, she's working on it over there. Um, I don't, I might not even know who she is. Like there's, 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 there's an entire team that's in charge of something that might be out of my, out of my control. Um, so that's, that's been a big one. Um, and I think that the, the other part of that is really when it comes to, um, mentoring and making sure that people are able to progress in their careers, you know, it's, it's much more worth everyone's time if you're working to improve the people who you have that are already really good, as opposed to trying to, um, you know, salvage a situation that went wrong because you hired incorrectly or because there wasn't a fit up front. Yeah, that's investing in your people and turbocharging the existing people who are already running is super, super valuable use of time. So as a CTO currently, um, where, like, if you were to make a pie chart of the the top three ways that you spend your time, what would that look like? <laughs> well, I should I should mention right now that I'm uh, I'm currently uh, dual wielding as uh, CTO and VP Eng, okay. so um, I probably have two distinct pie charts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's start um, with the CTO pie chart. The CTO pie chart. Um, I think that um, most of the so that the CTO role at Reddit is primarily one of being kind of a chief architect. And so the, um, the goal is, so I have a, I have a small uh, group, uh, like an office, office of the CTO group of four engineers who are kind of like company level architects, um, very senior folks. And their job is usually described, I, I describe it usually as um, extreme tactics and extreme strategy. 
So either their job is to like drop in and like add a whole bunch of help and firepower to something that's falling apart or it's on fire or start to make sure that we have a plan for making sure that we don't have a fire six months from now. Um, I'd say the current intermix that I have for that work is probably still about 80% firefighting and, um, you know, 20% making sure we don't have fires in the first place. And, you know, my job is to kind of start to shift that function up towards strategy to make sure that we really do have like a long-term um, plan strategy. Um, another, another kind of important bit there is that, you know, as a company gets bigger, one of the natural states of affairs is that it, it gets a little bit more siloed. Everyone has their kind of role. Um, but we're a single company and there has to be some way to connect together all the initiatives into, the, into, a, into an overall goal and to make sure that there's a place to land work that is kind of pan-engineering. And so that work ends up landing kind of like either up on my plate or at least up on Octo's plate to kind of like figure out. Um, so that would be my, like, probably the biggest, the biggest part of the CTO role. Um, for the, the VP integral, um, I mean, uh, the, the clear cupets there are, uh, execution, um, you know, figuring out how to take the product plan and the engineering plan and turn them into the plan and make them into something that is actually like, uh, actually executed and trackable, um, wrangling OKRs, making sure that people have clear goals, um, you know, expectation setting, um, management, of course, uh, you know, I have a, I have a team of, uh, of eight directors, um, who are, who are keeping the, keeping the ship afloat. Um, um, I think the, um, you know, the, the, the fun and terrifying part about, um, being at both VP and, uh, and CTO is that, you know, a natural state of affairs, I think it's not as extreme as for being CEO, but the natural state of affairs is that I want to make sure that everyone who reports into me is far better at their job than I would ever be. Right. Like they, they need to be just great at their, at their thing. And so my job is to facilitate them, um, being as productive and as, as enabled as possible and to kind of get out of their way or provide air cover. Um, I think the joke, joke I usually bring up is that, um, you know, all orgs, uh, end up naturally being shaped like a pyramid kind of in a hierarchy. Um, I think the right way to set that up is to actually have the, have the point on the bottom. So you kind of want to be there to kind of support everyone who's above you and make sure they can kind of be their best. I like that. It's we'll, we'll have you teach a class called like the upside down pyramid. For a book or potentially a band, I'm not really sure which one I want to go with. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, like talking about management and engineering, I was talking with the CIO of Atlassian. Uh, you're familiar with them, right? Yep. And we were talking about engineering performance management and this concept. Like, sales has metrics, and they look at like they're very metric driven now, right? With the softwares, marketing's very metric driven with cost to acquire things. And then they were looking for like, where, where, where are the metrics in engineering? And I came across this company, this whole, this like new category, sort of like an emerging category called like engineering performance management. Have you heard about this yet? I've, I've seen some companies that are getting into this. Like, I think the ones that come to mind are usually like, um, tools that write on top of GitHub or tools that write on top of like, you know, Slack and try to do a little bit of like, um, I don't, I can't not say the word creepily. <laughs> creepily. <laughs> You know, kind of keep track of like everything that's going on and figure out where there's inefficiencies in the process. But um, I'm curious to hear some of the ones you've, you've seen. Yeah. So I had this guy on my show from, uh, he did AppCelerator like previously. Remember that company? And mm -hmm. now he's doing this thing called Pinpoint. And very, very cool. Him and his co-founder have had this like amazing relationship for the past 19 years, which is like really cool. Like to do multiple companies with the same person over 19 years is really interesting because 
you know, we're always talking about like trust and co-founders. And so I was like, this is a, this is a picture perfect relationship. So I, I was actually interested, like after we spoke. And so I was like, Hey, like, let's see what, what it actually does after the interview. We like, I, he gave me one of his, uh, his co-founder and then like he did a product demo with me so I could see it. Dude, it is so like, this stuff is really cool. Uh, (laughs) I can't even describe all of it. I'm not even going to try, but all I'm saying is that, uh, that category of software is definitely something that I believe is going to, there's going to be like a hundred of those companies right, right now. I think there's only like a handful, but I believe in the next three or four years, there's gonna be like a hundred of them. No, I mean, you know, it's something that, um, it's something that I definitely, um, struggle with, or at least as an org, we struggle with a little bit because, you know, it, it, it is a little bit harder to define, um, engineering productivity, if only from the standpoint of like, the, I think what's, what's, what's underestimated for engineering work is that it is un- ultimately a creative endeavor, right? Like you, you can't just say like work harder or ship more lines of code or like have a straightforward, you know, there's an old, I mean, there's an old story about, um, I, I always forget, I'm terrible with names in general and I, I, I I'm going to butcher this story, but I'll give it anyway. Um, there's a story about how like early on, um, I believe it was Apple, um, used to measure productivity just by straight up like lines shipped, right? It was like a very <laughs> And, you know, it's like very early in their, like in their career as like a company. And they, um, they hired, a they hired uh, this guy who was, who, who knew, who, let's just say he knew what he was doing. He was very good at his job. And his first commit was a, like a negative, uh, 10,000 line plus 200 line commit. And he, 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 and it was just this demonstration of like, oh, actually, okay. So this guy just like actually has therefore negative productivity by our measurement, <laughs> even though yeah. we, effectively made this thing faster and more efficient. And so um, I, I think that the, um, the, the, the one way we're trying to actually s- to solve some of this is we're just looking at sort of things like um, almost developer happiness is the first thing to touch, right? Like do developers themselves feel that they're being productive or are they being bottlenecked on things? So, you know, good old fashioned survey of like name things that you were stuck on or like what, where have you, where do you think we could do have improvements? And um, that at least has helped with facilitating, um, starting to find like, yeah, like we know that we know that our developer, um, setup is not optimal right now. Right. But also identifying that, oh yeah, it's actually really easy for a developer to break the build on our developer, uh, virtual machine and then find out like, okay, so if a developer breaks the build, that means every engineer in the company has to spend an hour, like fixing their broken build. Well, that's a lot of time that's wasted when you average, when you add up, you know, that's, a, that's an entire engineer month at our scale. Yeah. And that only gets worse. And so um, being cognizant of that, that kind of level for us, I think, is the starting point. Um, Sounds I think, like a project for your super team. Yeah, that'd be like, oh, man, if I had, if I had more capacity for my super team. Oh, I should rebrand them as super team. That would be a good idea. Um, yeah. That, would they get capes for that? I think they'd probably get capes. Either capes or studies. Nah. <laughs> mask mask and mask capes and snuggies just yes. <laughs> let them pick yep. every yep. battle they win they get a new yep. accessory what about i mean maybe like a sash with a sash merit badges cool. that they can accumulate i think that would be a good way to go like almost like you know military yeah. regalia to make it feel very uh well military might be too extreme but we'll figure something out but it also give more flexibility when like a snuggie would confine you a little bit you know so you want you want the ability to move <laughs> Because you have to run, you have to run to the emergency. I assume that that's what they do. They run with their laptops yeah. to the location. Yes. Yeah. I know. Actually, we have we have a we have firemen's poles and parachutes. Um, it's it's a very <gasps> it's very dramatic. Um, we had flash powder for a while, but it was a bit of a fire hazard. Yeah, and somebody and Bob had allergies, so. 
don't get me don't get me started on bob uh <laughs> oh man this is good no i really like you you're a pretty great person man <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much that you never hey, know yeah. when you're going to these interviews right um i think uh you know don't forget when one of the one of the features of the of the job is um having to spend a lot of time on reddit um and uh i always like to say that uh I'm actually, uh, one of the side effects of being on Reddit for so long is I'm actually much funnier in text form. So uh, I apologize that this is the version you get. Uh. It's adequate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you do, let's go back. Let's, let's, get, let's get the audience some love. So we get people to write us, like write and ask us questions. And then I ask them to the guests. Um, first question, how do you do one-on-ones? What's like the cadence? Like, how do you approach that? Okay, so I think for um, having having had a lot of different hats over the last uh, five years, it varies a little bit by level. Um, but I'd say that um, one-on-ones, it depends on the level of the person you're kind of doing the one-on-one with. Um, I think when, back when I was an engineering manager, my general rule of thumb was um, I would do bi-weeklies with all of my kind of established people. And then weeklies with anyone who was like very junior or like new to the team until there was like a good notion of a cadence. Um, uh, generally, one change I've made over the years has been I've, I've gotten much more into being a little bit of an agenda, like, um, you know, required, like, doc. I like, I like having a place to refer to for um, what we're going to talk about. And it, if only because it enforces a certain amount of structure on the discussion. Um, you know, it means you can do things like, say, like, every four weeks we're going to talk about uh, your professional development, which is something that I think is easy to fall by the wayside otherwise. Um, it also gives you a chance to take what can be a very unstructured discussion and turn it into actionable things that you can do before the next meeting or as like ways to make progress. And so I've gotten very much into like kind of that approach of like, let's have a doc, the kind of the good, the bad, and just miscellaneous topics. And I think, um, you know, as I, as I, with more senior talents and like with directors, there's generally sections also involves like OKRs specifically in the one-on-one doc. Um, not because OKR, not, not OKR is necessarily for their org, but for them and their org kind of combined, like what do they want to achieve? And then it provides an outlet for, for checking in. Um, and so I think that, that, um, and the last bit is actually, um, over, over the last few years, I've definitely gotten very much, um, uh, into making sure there's an outlet for, for feedback and for candid feedback as part of a one-on-one, um, and making sure that it's as bi-directional as possible is important. Um, I would say that, um, I've definitely learned that written feedback though harder is also generally more effective. Uh, and the, the structure that seems to work, um, for, for me is, uh, when, it, when it's come up is like, if you have it as part of the, 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 of the one-on-one, um, uh, then there's always an outlet for it in the, in the doc. And it means you have to kind of collect your thoughts and get it down first. It also means there's less room for ambiguity. As long as the, the, the purpose is to inform the other person and to have the chance to talk about it live. Right. So it's not like, I'm going to send you an email with a bunch of feedback and then I hope you, hope you do the best with it. It's like, no, we're going to sit in this meeting and we're going to read the feedback and we'll talk about it and try to figure out a solution to it. Um, I think that's had a very, uh, you know, it's, it's had a little bit, a little bit of structure to meetings, but at the same time, the structure is generally good because it means that there's like an outlet for, for that kind of um, information. Um, I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure that one of the things you hear the most is like just getting candid feedback is just like the hardest, most valuable thing you can get. And um, it kind of comes back to the humility uh, part. Like, if you're not a little humble, you're not willing to accept feedback, then you're not going to really internalize it or like progress from it. Like the, the person is giving you a gift by giving you feedback. And maybe the, maybe, yeah, maybe it's like, the, maybe the, the gift is 
we have poor communication and we have things to talk about. Or maybe the gift is like, hey, you're actually doing a great job. Thank you for being so good at your job. Like, it doesn't have to be always always constructive feedback. In literature, like, it is actually good to hear stuff that's going right. Yeah, that's. I actually had one of those today. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, yeah, I was giving feedback. To, we, you know, how you told me about designers, right? You're, yeah. Well, we had a designer start about three weeks ago, Pam, and she's like straight killing it. Like she's doing so good. And I did that thing where like I had an idea and then I had another idea and she didn't jump and like adjust and do the thing that I was most excited about. She finished her work and prioritized it herself. And I was like, just thank you. Like, thank yeah, you so yeah, much yeah. because yeah. that means you can self-organize and I can just keep feeding you stuff and you can organize it. And I don't have to worry about like having a special Pam, don't tell her this now list and all this stuff. And yeah, so I was like, that's amazing. I'm super glad um, that that you have that skill. And so that was my, my feedback with, with her today. Yeah. you know, it, it is really, it's really easy to like, um, just kind of dwell on the problems and not really take the wins. Like you do have to actually recognize people for the good stuff they do. And it's kind of an important part. Right. Recognition makes people feel good. And, yeah. and, and it's true. And when it's true and you have an opportunity to allow someone to feel good, like do it, <laughs> let it happen. Look, it also goes back to, for me to like the career development question and the stuff around making sure that you're actually fostering people who are good at their job, right? You know, if somebody actually is legitimately killing it and you can help them to kill even more. Um, and yeah. you should, that's not, that's a, that's a way to do it is to say like, yes, you are doing the right thing. Continue doing the right thing. Um, um, and that's speaking as somebody with a huge amount of imposter syndrome. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't even know what to say right now. It's the end of the day. I'm like, I'm all excited. <laughs> I don't know. I've got, a, I've got a couple extra hours on you. It's only two o'clock here. So uh, it's only two o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We're, ne- next, next audience question. I don't even know how to do it. I, I'll just text it to you. No. Um, you make a lot of big decisions, right? Or we'll just say that you do. Um, and yeah, we, you, you're, you're a leader, you're a senior leader at a, at a enterprise. And so, yeah decisions, things that come up, what advice do you have in the decision-making space? Like what's some of your good nuggets of knowledge there? Well, I'd like to go back to my, my statement before about um, that, you know, one of the, one of the things about being a senior leader is that ideally the people who work for you are even better at their job than you would be. Right. And, and I think that in that case, part of the role of being a leader is actually to get out of the way of people and let them do their job. I think it kind of, it comes back to your, you're talking about your designer and, and her ability to prioritize, right? Like, if if I am if I am doing too much micromanagement of of anyone on my team, something is pathologically wrong, right? Uh, I mean, I the whole purpose of having a team to start with, and the fact that we're not a, a ten person startup is because we want to have a whole bunch of people with different perspectives and with different ideas, be able to organize and like solve problems. And so, um, if anything, I find that one of the one of the um, one of the roles of being the kind of leader in a room when there's a, when there's a discussion or a meeting or a debate is that oftentimes your people know what the answer is. They just need somebody to tell them that like, it's okay for them to do that. Um, or at least they, you know, they just need to talk it out and convince themselves that they're right and convince somebody else in the process. And so just kind of being there to like, I, I usually joke of it's like a rubber stamp for me. It's like, just go do it. Um, it's not because I'm just saying that I'm, I don't have an opinion in the matter. It's I'm saying that your opinion is probably more informed than mine. And like, why are we even talking? Like, let's go do it. Um, and it, it's, of course, it varies a lot by, it, it varies by experience. It varies by level. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I, I have the, the luxury of having a bunch of, you know, very senior 
very senior in leadership also referring to me. Um, I think when it comes down to, you know, uh, rank and file, when you're talking about ICs and EMs, it's the same kind of direction that happens. People become experts at their, at their job, or they should be allowed to become experts at their job and therefore be allowed to make decisions and not feel like they're going to be countermanded. Um, and that's not to say that we're always going to say yes to everything or that I always say yes to things that are presented to me. Sometimes things are timed wrong or they have to be delayed or it comes back to prioritization. Like, yeah, this sounds like a really good idea. Is it like a now kind of idea or like a, you know, how does it compare to these other 30 things that we need to do? Um, and if you tell me it's number one and we can have that debate, then yeah, let's go do it. If it ends up being number 29, which is usually the case, then usually that discussion helps to foster the reasoning behind the why we're not doing it now or why we're not doing it at all in some cases. What's like the biggest priorities on your mind right now? Oh man. Um, so I think the big one for me right now is so um, last year we did a major desktop overhaul um, for the website. Um, you know, it was a quiet, very quiet thing. Nothing really happened from it. Um, it's Reddit, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing ever happens on Reddit. Uh, and um, that went really well overall. It took, it took a, it took a good year in the making and it took a good year and change to kind of roll it up gradually to make sure that we listened and, and provided uh outlets for feedback and encouraged speaking of feedback um we're doing the same right now in our back end uh, our back end is mostly a um 10 year olds now monolith um it has a lot of my fingerprints still over it and so um i am actively working to get all of my uh, blame off of the code base <laughs> uh, i'd say you know we're, we're doing the kind of standard things we're moving to services we're like we're starting to build out a more modern stack while the whole thing is flying and making sure we don't break anything in the process. So it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, exciting and delightful and terrifying experience. Uh, and that actually comes back a little bit to productivity on our side. You know, um, a monolith is a great thing and it's a stable thing. It's not a great thing when you have 160 engineers who need to work on things on it. When you said you're going to bring it back, I thought you were going to bring it back to kids because you said terrifying. <laughs> I was like, is he going to bring it all the way back to the beginning? I was like, this is great. I was like, you're wrapping up the show for me, man. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna run a hypothetical past you. Yeah, go for it. All right, you're in San Francisco, right? You're driving down the street, right? Not not in an interview, not in a podcast. You're driving down the street, and at the red light next to you, guess who who pulls up next to you? Who? Elon Musk. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you like this? Okay. He's like rolls down the window. He's like, "What up?" And he's like. I just built this new invention. You want to come check it out? Follow me to my house. So you're like, what the heck? Let's follow as, Elon as, Musk. As anyone does. Um, yeah. 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 He regularly does this, by the way. He regularly so, does. Yeah. Yeah. He's known for this. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you follow him. You're at his house, and he shows you this, and he takes you in this room. He's got a time machine. But here's the deal: you go into the time machine, and you can only go back to Harvard, right? Like where yeah. you were studying. You're welding, right? You're welding, <laughs> you're studying, you've got the belt on, the pliers. You're welding at Harvard. You can go back to this exact moment and you can gently whisper some advice into your ear. <laughs> some, and that's it, that's it. Just like this little whisper of advice. What would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. So this is, this is, gonna, this is gonna totally wreck my, uh, well, so going back to my career feels like it was a, a series of fortuitous events that kind of accumulated into a result. Like how much of the how much of the the card castle am I am I destroying by whispering something to myself? Uh, I don't know. I mean, my my joke answer would be probably um, buy Bitcoin in two thousand nine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you know, I'm gonna look straight up, like this will fix everything. Um, 
I think, oh God, that's a tough one. So I think, um, I think a lot of the stuff that's been most valuable has been my experience and like the actual, the actual, maybe that's, maybe that's the advice is that the journey is the kind of the point, right? Like the destination is less important than the journey. Um, because I think that, um, especially getting in my own head in grad school, I was all about like, yeah, if I get my degree, then I get my degree and I can start working on my postdoc and then I'll work on like getting a professorship and like these like, milestones that kind of lay out for yourself. When in actuality, life's a heck of a lot more complicated than a bunch of milestones that you kind of accumulate for yourself. So I'll, I'll stick with that one. I'll say it's about the journey, not the, not the destination. I love it. And it's good. And it's true, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great piece. Of, but you did bring up a question. You did bring up something in my mind. It's like the, is the journey, here's the question. I'm going to try to form it right now. Is the, is the journey more special having a milestone, having a destination? I mean, I think, um, you know, it's funny because actually this is something that we, we do, we do think a lot about as a company right now, which is, um, you know, we talk a lot about North stars in, in the company and like goals and the, um, I'd say to answer your question directly. Yes. I think that, I think that the, having a destination in mind is always important because otherwise you know, like, what's kind of, what is the point? Um, and it, it kind of comes back to one thing we bring up a lot here has been the, um, there's this, this kind of potentially totally false anecdote about NASA in the sixties where, you know, all of NASA was set up in the sixties to be about putting a man on the moon. And they'd set up their culture in such a way where if you asked literally anybody at NASA, like down to the janitors who are cleaning the floor, like, what is your, what is your, what are you doing here? They would respond, I am working to put a man on the moon. And they were able to connect their story up to that goal. Um, like, I think that, that part is important. I think that the, the, the learning for me is that um, the result might not be to achieve that goal, but that doesn't mean that the original goal was like false, right? Like sometimes, sometimes a goal is a means to a better goal and you just don't have the insight to figure out that you're going the wrong direction. I like it. What's, what's, what do you, what big mission do you have for Reddit? And we don't have, we could edit this part out because we already had the great like answer. We already had the great answer at the end about like the advice you give your past self. This, the interview's over, but I just want to know like, what's the big, what's the big thing at Reddit? I mean, you know, I think we're, we're always, we're always just trying to make, honestly, just continue to grow the platform and make it better. Um, it's a really, I mean, it's a mundane response, but like, honestly, um, I think for, um, one of our, one of our biggest learnings over, over the time here, you know, like Reddit is this, is this wonderful beast now that's, that's almost 14 years old. Like it'll be, it'll be 14 years old this month. Um, it's gone from being a small, um, posting board effectively into a giant collection of network communities. Right. And one of the lessons we've learned over the years is that um, fundamentally our users are always more creative than we are. And so our job is to like build things and build tools that allow our users to express creativity in ways that surprise and delight us and that help to kind of foster the platform. So, you know, we're, we're for, I mean, for me, I just want to continue to see that that happen. I think that, you know, being, uh, being a technologist, I'm, I have at my disposal the tools needed to build those tools and build that technology that makes it work. Yeah. So like build communities or build communities, serve the community. I mean, that's essentially what you guys do. You serve the internet, like you're, yeah. you're a portal, you're a filter for the internet. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've, we've tried to figure out exactly the best way to describe what Reddit is. And I think the one that we've been settling on recently has been, um, Reddit's a city. Like it's a, it's a giant, giant city that has neighborhoods and the neighborhoods all have their own flavor. 
And as a city, it's going to have every aspect of humanity present. And so you're going to see the good and the bad. And the point of a city is that you do get a chance to see the good and the bad, right? You, there's, there's nothing, everything's out in the open, nothing's hidden. There's your North Star. What are you doing? You go up to Janet Reddit. What are you doing? They say, we're building the city. I like that a lot, actually. That's a Build good the city. Build the that's city. A, that's it. Right. That's what you guys are doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's really good, actually. Yeah. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> <laughs> Marketing and advertising. <laughs> Branding, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, we did it, Chris. We made a podcast. <laughs> that was fun. Awesome. Dude, this was fantastic. Thank you so much and your team and everything for putting it all together. Jake and Chloe, they're going to let you know when we're going to release the episode and we'll put clips and I'll connect with you on LinkedIn so we can post and be like, look at this awesome professional advice from Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Awesome, man. Have a fantastic day. And the next time I'm out in SF, I'll let you know and maybe we can hang out, grab my tea or tea or something. Yeah, at least I can show you the, uh, show you the office and uh, give, you, give you some swag. Show me the city. Show you the city. Yeah, let's build and the my city. Time, and, my, and my time machine. Oh, come on, <laughs> Musk. Don't get me excited about that. <laughs> I want to meet the superheroes, though. <laughs> Definitely want to meet the superheroes. Yeah. All right, buddy. You have a fantastic day. I'll talk with you soon. Sounds good. Bye. See you, bud. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.